Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a, um, a very solid, real deal, very, very focused guy who's done a tremendous amount of things uh, in the multifamily space in a short period of time. It's incredibly impressive. He's not messing around. Uh, he's made a lot of traction very quickly, doing some super smart stuff brought a lot of the stuff vertical. And that's why I wanted to talk to him. He is the CEO of ZMR Capital. He is Zamir Kazi. Zamir, welcome to Street Smart Success. Roger, thanks for having me on, man. It's a pleasure. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I've, I've been, I think we got, I think we moved it. I think I might've screwed up one day. And anyway, here we are, but just like kind of perusing, you know, your site and and kind of doing a little bit of background, I'm like, man, uh, you are a highly focused guy. Before we get into the multifamily stuff, um, just give me a sense of uh, where you hail from, what was your upbringing like, and uh, kind of what was the formative Zamir? So I grew up in Kissimmee, Florida. I, I always say Orlando, but uh, a lot of people don't know where Kissimmee is. It's a little, little town outside of Orlando, not so little anymore. Used to be a cow, past, cow, cow pasture. My parents are Indian. I'm first generation American, you know, so came, came from not so, so wealthy background and, and parents were, you know, not, not well off, but hardworking entrepreneurs and immigrants and Dad had a, um, you know, he owned some dollar stores and and Disney souvenir shops, and um, so I've been working through, you know, my family business since I was probably ten, you know, so ringing up cash, uh, cash at the cash registers and and whatnot, and um, played basketball through high school, and and then um, went to uh, Florida State for med school or for pre med, did pre med at Florida State. And as, as all Indian, as good Indian, uh, kids should do or, or, or lawyer or engineer, those are the three options that most of us have as kids. Um, and then senior year of my, in my, my undergrad, uh, my dad and I got into an argument. You know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, really wanted to get into business, um, from day one. And, and, you know, he wanted to be, me to be a doctor just because of the security it provides and, you know, and, and then I, I ended up dropping out. So never, never graduated uh, college. And then um, from there, uh, I was serving tables at Red Lobster and NBA City in Orlando and uh, the uh, Brainforce Cafe and then got a sales job selling vacation packages for Hilton and Marriott and, uh, you know, the, the calls you'd get for two ninety nine. you know, come come stay and take a timeshare tour. You know, that was probably me calling you. And I ended up doing that for a couple of years, did really well at it and started my own business doing the same when I was 23. And then uh, that that did well. And I, I sold it a couple of years later and started buying real estate. Uh, so my first deal was a twenty thousand dollars short sale duplex in Lakeland, Florida. That's how that's how we got here. Got it. That's how we got here. Well, you know what? I I, I love the story, and uh, you know your folks were like, 
hardworking immigrants, man. I mean, dollar stores, Disney souvenir shops, you know, total grind. But, you know, uh, Indians are big on education and they're big on supporting their families and they ain't afraid to work. So that's that's what I get from that brief description, which was uh, quite, quite good. And so a uh, $20,000 duplex and you said Lakeland, correct? Lakeland, yep. Yeah, and that's uh, East Coast. So it's it's equidistant between Tampa and Orlando. So you're kind of West Coast. You wouldn't know it uh, unless you've kind of been in the area. It's known for orange groves. Um, I, I, really I, confused it, I confused it with Lake Worth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. $20,000 duplex. What year was that? This was 2013. And you know what? Before I, we, we progress, out of curiosity... I know that you did litigation finance. I don't know if you're still doing that. What was that about? That actually looks, and it, it, yes, it's a real estate podcast, but it, it got my interest because it, it's like, it looked to me like that's a good way to make money. What was that basic model? Are you, are you still doing it? It's a great business. Yes, still doing it. So I started that in, I think, 2015. And um, essentially, kind of high, high level, what we do is we invest in lawsuits or the outcomes of the lawsuits. So essentially... of what we do is motor vehicle accident. If you're in a car accident, you're waiting for your settlement. It's going to take two or three years. We essentially buy you out of it, give you some money now, and then bet on how much it's going to settle for and, and, and take the outcome. We're, we're 99% successful and, and, and all of our cases and, you know, IRRs are pretty, pretty good and, and multiples are great. You know, we're probably like 60% IRR on, on those deals and, I ultimately, I, I look at it like real estate. Instead of buying multifamily properties, we're we're buying you know uh, cases, and all of these cases have insurance companies that back the outcome. So we know there's some sort of a minimum payment, and if there's injuries and you know fault and cause, then then we we can likely you know figure out what the outcome is going to be. Got it. And so the business is still running. Still running. You know, we we we've grown tremendously there as well. We we did a first round of, of raise uh, a couple of years ago and we're gearing up for another um, series B raise right now. So the business has grown quite a bit. It's funny because the the real estate company and the litigation finance company kind of took off at the same time. Um so I've since kind of removed myself in terms of CEO but still chairman and you know, the, we've got, we've got a great team there. Is the raise, is that to raise money, uh, basically to effectively, I'm going to use the term wrong, but buy more cases. And is that what the capital's needed for? Um, both. It'll, it'll be both for, so we have a facility, the credit facility that's $25 million that funds most of the cases. It's kind of like it, it'll put up 80% of the cases. And then we, we need another 20% to fill the stack to, uh, to, to for the the remaining twenty percent, and then also ongoing operations, marketing, you know, and uh, hiring more people and whatnot. So we've, we've proven the business model out pretty pretty well, and and would love to take it to the next level. So did, is your dad realized that you didn't need to become a doctor yet? Yeah, that that you know, I, I bought him a house in twenty ten, and and that changed his view on you know that I I was going to be a fuck up, and you know not not do well. Excuse my language, um, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, he, his worries were put to bed. Um, things things ended up okay. You know, let's just say that. Yeah. Figured you know, I, I don't swear on the podcast, 
off the podcast, every <laughs> word, every word out of my mouth is a swear word, but I just don't, uh, well, but I just I apologize. Don't. You can block no, that up. Not necessary. No, that's why I, I laugh when people do swear on, on the podcast. And I don't even know why I don't. I just, it, for some reason, it just feels like I shouldn't swear on the you're, podcast. You're a good host. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, okay, man. Like I said, you're you're a focused, smart guy. It's very, very impressive. So tell me about the what what happened after the duplex because I know you're just absolutely crushing. You you, you bought a, a bunch of stuff like in the last two years too. But what what was the trajectory? Yeah, so you know I was buying ones and twos, kind of like two twos, quads, and then you know moved up to eight units, and then bigger went to twenty, and then. Was kind of doing these smaller deals, uh, probably until 2018. So it was good. It was good, you know, four, four or five years where we were just not really scaling to to anywhere near where we are now. I mean, we probably had a thousand units that that we pieced together throughout the the smaller acquisitions. Um, but then, kind of really started again slowly buying bigger and bigger properties into 20s and then 50. And I think 2015, we may have bought our first like you know 100 unit deal, which was pretty big for us at the time. Um, and then uh, you know a lot of that capital was just me and my partner at the time self funding those deals. Our friends and family had no money, so it was kind of worthless to tap into that that pool. Um, and then I moved to Los Angeles, uh, probably let's call it nine years ago. Um, and, and that's when I started kind of really, really creating a really strong network of successful, smart people, right? And, and people that really knew private equity and scaling companies and just kind of a, a larger mindset, you know, that, that kind of, I didn't go to school for this. Obviously, I, I dropped out. So, um, I, I kind of was able to get an education on the, on the run from, from some of the people I was surrounding myself with. And, then I started raising some outside capital, right, friends and family money, and started doing slightly bigger deals. Um, and from there, I met uh, uh, one of my best friends, um, who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. It was like, look, you're you're making great returns, right? Your track record is awesome. The problem is, is you're you don't have large scale. You're doing small deals. Um, if you were to buy bigger deals, it's actually easier to raise ten million dollars than it is five million dollars or one million dollar, right? Um, the dollars. So I, I then started to really look for some some bigger deals, and that's when we found um, a forty million dollar deal in Atlanta, and that was our first kind of big institutional deal. Um, it was a C C deal uh, in College Park in Atlanta, off Godby Road. If you know anything about that area, it's pretty rough. And uh, the equity check was probably fifteen million bucks, and. I, I was using my cold calling background to to go down a list of maybe a thousand investors and and mostly all institutional and towards the last day of DD or two days of DD before I went hard I was able to find um, uh, an institutional investor to invest in our deal and and that was kind of the first deal that set it off uh, and it was difficult given we didn't really have a, a a track record on doing large deals but once we got that one done and round tripped it. You know, it, it, things got a lot easier, and um, you know, you you kind of mentioned it earlier. We we went from that to two deals the next year that size, and and then four, and then uh, the last two years we've done over a billion and a half in transactions. You know, thirty some plus deals, and and we were definitely probably one of the more active groups in the country. So 
um, you know, it was just kind of meeting people and, and getting our name out there and then getting a few good deals under our belt. And, and then it all started to snowball. Well, uh, that's, that's an awful lot. The, uh, the hundred unit deal, where was that? Uh, that was Orlando. So really we, we hadn't done a deal outside of Florida until 2018. Um, and, and the hundred unit deal was, uh, I remember it, it was a Cardinal construction deal, um, in Orlando that we bought for 25,000 a door. And then, you know, those are kind of some of the buys that timing obviously was great. At that time, you could have put, close your eyes and pointed to a map and bought anything and made money in 2015. And, you know, we, 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 sold that a few years later and, and it mostly probably doubled our acquisition price. So it was, you know, a great return uh, uh, on equity uh, uh, for multiple wise. I'm just, I can't believe even that recent 20 grand a door. That is amazing. The, the deal in Atlanta, the $40 million deal was kind of like the first big deal. And was that 2018? That was 2018. Yeah. And that was like 48 door. You know, so like it, it was, we were buying, yeah, you know, that, that's, we cut our teeth on C class, right? Um, kind of distressed assets, stuff that people really didn't want to touch. Um, operationally were difficult. Uh, we, we figured out kind of how to, how to work those deals. So I'm envisioning at that point in time, you, you, you weren't vertically integrated because you were just starting down that path, correct? Well, so it's, it's funny. So we, we started to vertically integrate when we started. Um, and we self-managed probably until we had, I'd say, let's call it 500 to a thousand units. But again, these were all duplexes. And, and honestly, I hated doing what I did because of the management side. It just wasn't fun to me. Um, and then, you know, thousand, five, 500 to a thousand units in. Buddy, mine's like, look, you can you can you know farm this out, and and you're not paying that much, right? Um, uh, in terms of someone offloading it, and we did, and then I loved I loved you know I love buying deals and I love real estate, and and it gave me time to really focus on what we do well is is acquiring deals and and um, miss, taking care of the the uh, the renovations and and providing value and and our capex program and our construction management and our asset management and then. Let someone handle the day to day. So you know, even to this day, we we're not vertically integrated. Uh, we use third party managers. My thought process is, you know, with all of our JV equity partners, it's harder. If I don't think there's a such there, there's no such a good thing as or such a thing as a good property manager. I think um, most people are okay at it at best, and it's harder to fire yourself if you're not doing well than if it was a third party. And, and I think um, we, our interests are aligned with our partners because you know, we don't have an interest in the management. So you're, that deal in 18, it's $40 million deal. It's C-class, third party management. How on earth did you, and I understand you said you made a ton of phone calls, which is yeah. just wonderful. What was the nature of that, that source of capital? Uh, it was a, an institution. Um, they they had a fund, probably five hundred million dollar fund, and uh, you know this was actually their first deal into multifamily. They historically had just done retail, office, um, hospitality, and you know sometimes sometimes I, I felt like we were lucky in the fact that we were young, starting off, didn't have a track record, and they also were starting off, didn't have a track record, and multi. Um, and they were hungry to find, uh, you know, some multi deals that made sense. They, you know, look, we didn't have a track record at the time. They actually put um, some clauses in our deal where they were highly betting on me, you know, um, as a sponsor, and 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 thought that I would do well. So they made me live 
in Atlanta for two months out of the two weeks out of the the month and made sure I was there on site and that way things didn't get swept under the rug and you know I did I stayed there and, and hustled and grinded and and you know and made sure that the deal did well. Hmm. So interesting because everything I hear is like institutions uh, generally not always but generally want vertical integration and it, it's interesting that they were willing to kind of. Uh, Roll the dice is the wrong term because it sounds too uh, it sounds too random. I know it wasn't just a roll of the dice, but anyway, it worked. So there was a question I wanted to ask about ten minutes ago that has absolutely nothing at all to do with real estate, and it's this: uh, you played basketball. How tall are you? I am six seven, probably one of the the tallest Indians you'll meet. However, our analyst uh, Akshay is six ten, so he got me beat. I, I was. Close to not hiring him because I wanted to make sure I was still the tallest Indian for sure in the company and, and he, he ruined that. <laughs> well, the question is, can he post you up, man? Or, or how, you know? You know, I don't know. We haven't, we should get a, we should get a company game going soon. <laughs> you know, I'm floored because first of all, I, I was already floored at the six, seven, right? Six, seven. And you took the words out of my mouth because it was so obvious, right? Six, seven Indian guy, you know, but a six, ten Indian guy. Yeah, I mean that that's gotta be the he's gotta be the tallest Indian guy in the world. Yeah, maybe, maybe one of them for sure. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for bearing with my silliness. <laughs> so so what so so then you've just gone down and you've just you basically knocked down these big properties since 2018, third party management. What kind of debt have you taken on and how how have the deals gone? What kind of challenges are, are you experiencing now? Sounds like you, it sounds like you just hit the ground running in the most profound of ways. Yeah. You know, so it's funny. We, we've done a mixture of agency. We started off doing a lot of agency. And then I think similar to a lot of the rest of the world in 2001 and, and 22, um, we did start taking on, you know, some, some bridge debt from, from debt funds. And, you know, that, that's kind of the, the 311 structure and, um, you know, we were probably maxed out at around 75% um, LTV. Uh, we didn't do a lot of deals where we pushed to 80. Um, we did do some, but you know, look, I, I, again, I think that was, that was what everyone was doing at the time. And now the kind of backtracking, luckily we bought great rate caps, you know, all three year rate caps and we purchased really well in terms of purchase price. So we're not in trouble in terms of loan maturities coming up. We've added a lot of value in terms of, you know, we, we purchased in high growth markets. And so we, we've been able to add value through rent increases and in, in our CapEx program. And then, uh, you know, we don't have rate cap maturities coming up. Um, so, you know, look, knock on wood, uh, performance is great, uh, portfolio wide and we feel pretty good about the uh, portfolio as a whole, um, especially even when, when our maturities come up. I, I think we'll be, we, we qualify for a lot of the extensions if we need them. Um, and again, I think we purchase a lot of these properties pretty, pretty well in terms of basis. Challenges, I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the cash flow is being wiped out uh, until those caps are, are being uh, reached, right? You, you, yeah, none of us underwrote rates increasing this fast. Um, so with floating rate debt, um, the cash flow you thought you had or were going to have now uh, gets gets wiped out. Now, the good thing with a lot of our investors, because we're our investors are institutional in nature, we're not out there syndicating deals. Our investors really aren't expecting cash flow coupons, right? They're more IRR and multiple driven. 
So, you know, our, our investors are okay. They're happy. You know, again, we're, we're performing better than our, our pro forma projections. Uh, but I th I'd say that's probably one of the challenges. And then, you know, moving forward, uh, the debt market has changed dramatically, right? Um, capital markets in, in general. And, and it's, it's difficult. I mean, you just can't underwrite 75 even on leverage. And, and if you do, you're in the tens, right? So today, uh, we're probably 60% leverage buyers, right? Maybe 65 at most, um, agency and then rates are so high. So you've got lower debt, higher interest rates, right? And then probably higher, higher exit caps on, on the exit. That all kind of, it makes it tough for deals to pencil today, right? Um, not to say we're pencils down. We're definitely looking at deals um, and definitely, you know, trying to acquire more. But I, I think there's still a pretty wide bid ask spread between the buyers and sellers right now. When you were discussing, like when you moved to LA nine years ago, I guess the first question is, so it's going to be two questions. The first question is, why did you move to LA? And then I'll, I'll ask, I'll, I'll ask the other question in a minute. Um, so I moved to LA because of great weather and I was a Lakers fan. Those are the two reasons why I moved to LA. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. Dude, dude, you live life on your terms, man. I think it's, <laughs> I, it's as good a reason as any. Yeah, exactly. That, that was really it. And then everything else followed from there. You know, it was the best decision I made in my life. I see. So it was to go to Laker games. To go to Laker games. Yeah. So I actually, I actually had gone on vacation uh, to watch a Lakers game and um, decided I wasn't coming back. I was like, this is it. I'm staying. Yeah, I see. Good move. And then the other question is, is you were describing Zamir, uh, like after you, you had been there, that you were doing this networking and you were learning about private equity. I don't know if those were the exact words, but that was the gist of it. And I guess like, what exactly does that mean? It is like my, my read into it is that you were just learning about, you know, raising money and sources of money. This is what was going on in my brain. But it, is that what it was? Like, what exactly did that mean? Were you just meeting institutional players that could ultimately fund deals? Or was it a kind of us all the above? You know, I think it was all the above. It, it started off with, you know, honestly, just me going out, you know, going to bars and this and that and, you know, meeting guys uh, and girls that were in the private equity space somehow, right? Whether it was um, sponsors that bought businesses that raised money, um, third-party money, or or real estate people that were sponsors that raised money both from private capital and, and institutional capital, and then picking their brains on how you know how they got to where they're at, right? And how are they doing big deals? How they get all these investors, right? And um, whether it was a syndication model or whether it was institutional. So that's kind of how it started, right? And then, and then picking their brain, right? I mean, I didn't know how to raise money to begin with. I didn't know what a waterfall was or, or promote was, right? Because uh, we were doing our own deals um, and, and really learning structure, right? First, and then saying, oh, wow, I didn't know you could do this and charge these fees and, and really not, you know, not have to put up 100% of the, the capital stack and, and whatnot. And um, then a lot of these people started introducing me to uh, sources of capital, right? And that's one thing that I've I've learned too is that you know look you possibly don't couldn't do enough deals and 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 the equity out there it's it's plenty right there's a lot of money out there for everyone and and you know a lot of a lot of, a lot of my friends were 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 kind enough to again make those connections right and and be willing to help and then 
then from there, I just started, you know, um, kind of dating, starting the dating process with equity partners, right? Institutional JV equity partners and, and going out meeting them and like, hey, look, we may not be where you are, where you want us to be now. And we may not be able, like investable um, today, but what would that look like? What would we need to do for, for, for us to do a deal together? Like where would we need to be and what's your box and, and what, what type of deals would get you excited, right? And then I think from there, we really focused on that, right? Like, okay, now we had uh, investment criteria box from groups that we felt like there was mutual synergy and what we were looking for, right? And I think there's ways like, okay, these are deals we both like. And then focused on finding those particular deals, those assets and those markets, right? Um, and then, you know, really start, start honing in on and then which partners can we marry these deals with? And focus on that. Interesting. You know what? What a methodical way about going about it. So, so you don't take uh, or ha- haven't raised retail money. It's been all institutional. Yeah. So, look, we've done a couple deals where we will take retail money, and, and those were early deals. But yeah, for the most part, it's institutional capital. You know, we'll and now we'll we'll reserve some space for friends. You know, if they want to come in, but this small book. Most 90% of our equity is coming from, from institutions. It's an interesting conversation for me because I don't think I've spoken to anyone yet that, that, uh, is doing, is raising all institutional money. I could be wrong, but I think, I think that's the case. Is there, so clearly it's deliberate. Is that just because it's just more efficient time and effort? It's just easier just to raise money from one source. Cause I guess what I'm thinking is you probably give up more. You know, yeah. rate, or is it just in it just ability to just scale much faster because you've just got more reliable, quick money? Is what what's the thinking? Yeah, so I'll tell you. I'll be very honest. Um, I did not have the source of capital, private, the retail money wise. So I, I didn't have a network uh, at the time where my fr- again, my friends and family didn't have any money, so it was hard to tap into that starting out, right? And then I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't doing these podcasts like you are, and you know, it was kind of still. I feel like. It was in the infancy stages back then. And, and so for me, the only source of capital I had was the institutional capital. And, and now, now I guess it's a case of the grass is greener. We are now focusing on trying to raise retail money and private capital to kind of supplement the institutional business. Because in times like now where the institutions are all pencils down, um, if you find a good deal, we want, we want to be able to do it, right? Um, so so it's something that we're working on. And, and yeah, you do give up a lot. I think in terms of fees, we're probably making you know half the, the amount of fees that uh, you know, a normal syndicator would make. Um, and then promotes are not as, as, as healthy, right? Um, so I think the sponsor is definitely more incentivized uh, in terms of a retail structure. Now we would probably would never have scaled as fast as we did, right? Um, so I think to your point, the the benefit is is yeah, we do give up on one deal, but I can do a hundred deals, right? Um, so long as the those relationships are there and we've done a good job and and you know we're finding good deals, you we have the opportunity to build a larger platform faster. I think. Yeah, makes sense. What's the range in in nature? Of because because at this point you definitely have a you know kind of a, a a spectrum of working with different kinds of institutions. What's the nature of level of involvement? You know, a, a kind of across the board, you know, low to high, and what all that looks like. Because what I've heard is it's very it's it's kind of a deal with the devil with institutions where it's yes you get your you get one check cut you don't have to to use your term earlier, fuck around with a lot of different retail investors. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, 
got but, you the curse. We got you the curse, Roger. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be a first. I'm almost at like 300, that word anyway. Um, but um, that was an attempt at humor. But but um, but but yet you pay the price because they're really in your business. So what what's the range of how how by by institution how how in and you 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 have nothing to compare it to, so you're probably okay with it. But anyway, I shouldn't have said that because now I'm putting words in your mouth. <laughs> no, so um, you know there there is I'd say it varies. The level of involvement varies. We've got partners that um, want a phone call quarterly. You know, and, and just an update there. And then we've got people that are on our weekly calls, um, want to pick the pink color on the trim of the windows and, you know, uh, make every little decision with us. Um, so it, it varies. And, and look, sometimes you can get a little bit cumbersome. Yes. However, I think I, I like it because it keeps us honest. Right. And, and in terms of it keeps us on our toes, um, there may be things we miss. Right. And, and quite honestly, these are very smart people that have been in the industry for a long time that usually bring a lot of value um, by partnering besides the money. Right. I mean, anybody can write a check, um, but there are, you know, there there's uh, efficiencies of scale that we can piggyback off of from some big groups. Right. And and maybe there's things that they can bring to the table and vice versa. We can help them with the rest of their portfolio. So I, I think I don't mind the involvement. Again, sometimes it gets annoying, but uh, for the most part, I think it makes us better. It makes us better asset managers, right? Because you can get kind of stuck in your ways and this is how we do things in one way. And and, and then it's hard to learn kind of how others are doing it and implement things that work and kind of figure out what doesn't work. And um, we have great partners. Again, I, I wouldn't change it. Uh, are, how, how many of them do you think you've dealt with or are currently dealing with? I'd say we probably have 12 different partners. 12 or 15. Yeah. Are most of them in Southern Cal or are they just all over the place? All over, you know, um, a few are in California and LA, one in San Francisco, some New York. Now a lot of the New Yorkers are migrating to Miami. So it's all over the place. And what's the nature of them? Are they, uh, are, are they, uh, you know, all private equity or are they insurance companies or are they, you know, endowments or? Yeah, they're mostly all just private equity. Um, We haven't worked with any endowments. You know, most of the endowments and pension funds, they're looking to invest in funds directly um, versus doing deals direct. Um, You know, we're we're hopefully we'll get there where we're going to raise our own fund, and I think that's a near term goal of ours. Um, is to raise a vehicle probably in the next three, three to five years. But all of them will be uh, private equity with, uh, we've been close with some insurance groups as well. We haven't got one that way yet. I see. And then what is your criteria for buying? I mean, the bar, the bar is pretty high right now. Um, you know, I'd say on, if you're looking at unit count, we're 150 units plus, 2000s in newer vintage, probably 2005 in newer. Uh, look where again, we've, we've cut our teeth on, um, you know, seventies, eighties stuff, C class deals. I think given, given where we are in the cycle, there's definitely flight to quality now. Um, we, we want newer assets, main to main locations. I think partly because the yield is pretty much the same on older deals and newer deals, especially today where competition is not, you know, as, as crazy as it used to be. I think it's a little bit easier to get deals and, and pricing is kind of, um, reflective of that. And you can still buy some newer product that, you know, discount to replacement costs. Right. So really that, that's our focus moving forward. Um, in terms of IRR, we, we want to be, you know, high teens, ideally high teens kind of, and or, or 20 would be great. Um, we try to net our, uh, to our LP left 15 is kind of our goal. 
but you know we're not we're not underwriting rent growth like you know nowhere like we used to we're probably kind of flat with with expense growth and really looking at deals where untrended if there was no rent growth does this still make sense because you're seeing rents in some markets flatten or even pull back and you know florida for us has been remained very strong but look if if rent growth goes nowhere does this deal still make sense and then obviously there's the question of, of exit caps. Where where are we underwriting exit caps? How are you thinking about that? And at the end of the day, everyone's just guessing and no one really knows, but you got to hope that you're, you're making the right guess. If um, I, I think what's starting to happen just through, through me doing this podcast and listening to other podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, in certain markets, the C-class stuff is starting to come down so that there, there all of a sudden is some daylight in between C and A-class. That's right now. People aren't doing, you know, four caps for C-class anymore, depending on where it is. I guess you're having started in kind of, you know, the older vintage 70s, 80s. If the prices, if the prices came down enough, whatever that means to you, uh, so that the numbers worked, would would you go back and acquire C-class stuff? You know, I would say, I'd never say never because we're deal, we're deal guys, right? I, I think at the end of the day, if the deal makes sense and it's a really good deal, we'll do it, right? I think the preference is to 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 stick with the newer product. I mean, let me think about it. Even if a two thousand, if it's a two thousands deal, twenty five years old practically, right? It's not new, you know, that new. And I think some of those deals haven't been turned over yet or, or had gone through a renovation program, and and now they're primed to be renovated. So I think that you know, for us, there's just less deferred maintenance issues. I think you're dealing with a higher quality tenant. Um, where in the recession, right, uh, the people that are most likely to be hit are going to be your lower income uh, earners, right? So we want we want to be mindful of of you know collections, right? In, in a in a tough environment, who are you know inflation? If groceries are going up and gas is going up, the person that's really being hit percentage wise to their income is that lower. Uh, lower income uh, tenant in the C class properties, which then makes it tougher to pay your bills, right? So we're just trying to be mindful going into you know what what we think to be is going to be a, a little bit of a tougher environment. Well, that is definitely why I asked the question. So what are you doing? You kind of alluded to it already, but I'll just ask it just to be uber clear. You said pencils are down with the institutions just because of all the uncertainty and what have you. Um, so are you still? So so what are you doing now with acquisitions? Are you gonna are are you pivoting? I guess now I'm going to try and re- raise money just from. Re- Retail high net worth investors, or yeah, I think that's a part of the plan is to um, start creating uh, an outlet where we can raise some private capital. Um, but B, you know, the, most of them are penciled down, and, and but I am starting to see some groups start to jump back in. I think pricing is getting to a point where it's starting to make sense. Obviously, what the Fed decides to do moving forward is going to be huge. But if there's some clarity, you know, I, I, what I what I do know is that there's so much capital waiting out there on the sidelines right now. Once it comes back in, it's going to come back in, you know, and uh, and droves. So, uh, but we've we've gotten a few partners to to come chase some deals with us. Uh, again, I think the the real problem has been the bid ask between what the seller wants and what the broker is guiding to versus really what we think we can realistically play. And and that that problem is going to persist regardless if there's institutional capital or not, because the underwriting is still the same, right? We're not going to underwrite a deal differently, whether it's if it's private capital. Um, so I think fundamentally, that's the biggest issue is 
you know, I'm not going to pay a four cap or a high four cap on a deal. You know, I we think the market's between five and a quarter, five and a half, right? And and it's I, I think a lot of the sellers aren't there yet. Now I do think that time is going to come when a lot of this debt fund deal, the 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 bridge debt's going to mature, and we'll start to have some forced sellers. And you know, then then you're going to be market seller. Yep, I think that's the uh, consensus at this point. Um, you know, with the PE funds, it's a world I don't really know anything about. And so I, I'll ask the 101 question. Are, are a lot of these funds just real estate or is just real estate one arm of what they do? You know, and, and or do any of them just do real estate and it's just, just a real estate fund and just a multifamily fund or is it all different flavors? Um, it's different flavors. I'd say most of the, the groups that we work with are, are real estate focused, right? And then they'll have, uh, separate funds for separate asset classes. And then some of them have funds that they do, you know, all, all office, hospitality, um, multi out of the same bucket. They're more kind of value add slash opportunistic slash core plus funds. You know, those, I think those funds are the ones that kind of get, uh, hurt the most given a lot of office has gotten crushed. Right. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I'd say it's a mix. And then mo- you know, some of the larger, really large groups will have other funds and do private equity and venture and all that stuff. But I, I'd say for the most part, it, it, they're all real, real estate focused. I see. And then would you consider, I'm, I'm sure you've thought about it just because you're an entrepreneur and, um, you know, entrepreneurs always have ideas. Do you consider uh, doing other asset classes? Yes. Um, kind of, we're, we're one of our goals uh, is to move into development and, and ideally kind of be 50 50 between new development and, and acquisitions. Um, and then uh, also industrial has, has obviously peaked up. Sure, everyone's interest. Um, it's been, you know, multifamily and industrial have been the darlings of, of real estate the last ten years, and then uh, public storage. Public storage is another another uh, asset class I'd, I'd love to to dabble in. So, you know, who knows? Uh, maybe over the next few years, we start to to diversify a bit and and create a few different arms of the the business. So you do have partners and are are you majority partner? Like what's, what's that structure? Uh, I don't have any partners anymore. I'm a hundred percent, um, of, of the company now. I did have a partner, um, uh, a while ago, but we've since, uh, parted ways. Got it. All right. You're a trailblazer. What, what would you say are the uh, key lessons you've learned? Cause God knows you've learned a million lessons doing this. You know, I think number one is uh, build the right team. Your team uh, is extremely important and the people you surround yourselves with, you know, uh, you don't want people that are complimenting your strengths. You want them to complement your weaknesses, right? So I think that's huge. Um, number two is, is you know, you got you to gotta make sure you're doing good deals. You know, I, obviously, and that, that seems like it's elementary, right? Um, but you got to be very, very disciplined in your underwriting and, and make sure that you're not tweaking things just to make them work and, you know, or just to try to get a deal. Uh, really, really stay strong on your fundamentals uh, because your track record is everything, right? If you, if you ruin one deal, um, especially in the Susuno space, then, you know, you're, you're, you're stuck explaining that deal for the rest of your life or your career. And, you know, so you got to make sure that every deal is a win, right? Because you're going to be judged by your losers, not your winners. Uh, what are key examples where you need, to, uh, obviously everything, I understand that, but like what are key examples on where you need to be just uber disciplined and maybe areas where people stub their toe? 
I, I just say, I think your assumptions, right? Um, you know, don't stretch on rents, you know, exit caps, uh, growth assumptions, um, debt, uh, just, uh, I think in terms of all of your, your underwriting assumptions just need to be a in line. And then again, I've seen, I just seen a lot of people push on certain areas to make a deal work. Right. I think a lot of people are so hungry to get deals done. Sometimes you end up making mistakes that, you know, will come and bite you in the end. Yeah. I, I get it. Well, a lot of people, A, don't have experience and a lot of people are unrealistically optimistic and uh, it, it doesn't hurt to, to, be, uh, to be skeptical. Do you have, uh, inevitably, you're very, very busy. I don't know. Do you, do you ever listen to podcasts? You know what? Uh, not as much as I'd like to. I, I like, I do, I do read when I have the time. Um, podcasts, not so much. I, I, you know, some of my friends have launched podcasts, so I listen to theirs here and there. Um, but no, not, not too much. Got it. Okay. Um, look, uh, I, I've enjoyed this conversation, uh, immensely. Uh, you're an interesting guy, man. And, uh, you know, I, I respect what you've done. If somebody were to be so inclined to, to kind of find out more about what you're doing, how, how do they how do they do that? Yeah, so website's uh, www.zmrcapital.com. Um, on LinkedIn, Zamir Kazi. Uh, Instagram, it's at Zamir Kazi. So pretty pretty easy to find. Got it. All right. Well, listen, man, I hope to circle back with you uh, in a year and do this again. I'd love to, Roger. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, appreciate it. And I'll talk to you soon. 